Please take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians, chapter number 3. Thank you for those songs, brother, about the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that, uh, that last song. I, you know, the psalmist said that we should uh, lift up a loud voice. A loud voice. The instruments should be played skillfully. And the saints of God should lift up a loud voice unto the Lord. I haven't been able to sing like I want to since my surgery, but that day's a coming that I'll be able to let her rip again, and I'm looking forward to that. Amen. I love to sing. I love to sing about the Lord. I do. And I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter number 3. Please keep your Bibles open this morning. I always in, praise the Lord that you, you bring your Bibles with you and you use them, that you search the Scriptures to see if the things that you're hearing are so... I ask you to prove all things and to hold fast to that which is good. Philippians chapter number 3. The last uh, five or six Sunday mornings I have been preaching on the subject of worship. This morning I want to focus on what the Bible teaches us about New Testament worship. New Testament worship and what it is and how important that it is. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus told the woman at the well? He said, the hour cometh meaning that things were going to change from where it was then to where it is now. He said, The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain, neither yet at Jerusalem, worship the Father. So there would be no specific location as there was in the Old Testament. And he says, The hour cometh. He said, When true worshipers, true worshipers. So if there's true worshipers, that means that there are false worshipers. There is worship that is acceptable to God. There is worship that is not acceptable to God. He said, For the hour cometh when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He said, For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. So this morning, before you even got ready to come to church, our Heavenly Father had a desire in His heart. His desire was that when you came today, that you would worship Him in spirit and in truth. With your inward parts of your heart and your mind and with your intellect, with your emotions and with your mind. That you would be engaged in what you're doing. That you would not just be coming here to just go through a a routine, but that you would be connected. And that you would, uh, from your heart, and by the way, Your heavenly Father looks down from heaven and He can see every thought and every imagination and everything that's being processed inside of you. He picks up on that. He understands that. And and, and one of the things that's really a mystery to me about the power of this book, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And the Bible says it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. And so God looks upon that this morning concerning our worship. Charles Spurgeon said that some go to church to take a walk. Some go there to laugh and to talk. He said some go there to meet a friend. Some go there for time to spend. Some go there to doze and nod. But the wise go there to worship God. I believe that. I want you to look in Philippians 3 with me, please. I know most pastor sermons have three points. I only got two points in this message because of what it says in the verse, couple of verses here. But I may have a lot of sub-points underneath those two points. You understand that, don't you? Yeah, I know you do. All right. Philippians chapter 3, look in verse number 1. He said, finally, my brethren, so we know who he's talking to. People who have truly been born again by the Spirit of God. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now, verse 2 and verse 3 have a very, very, very important instruction for us today. One has to do with the word beware. Now, that word beware. 
means to be cautious and alert to the dangers that are around you. Beware. Verse 2 says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. And then verse 3, the word is not in the text, but the implication is the thought of be aware. The difference in that is, one has to do with being cautious and alert to the dangers around you. The other one has to do with having the proper knowledge and perception of the facts and of the truth. And he says in verse 3, for we, talking about the saints of God, being exclusive from all others, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. One of these verses teach us to beware of some things. The other one teaches us to be aware of the truth. You can't just know what to stay away from. You need to know what to be involved in as a believer. God did not save us and sanctify us in order for us to be isolated, but rather to be insulated in a very wicked and ungodly world. So this thing about beware, let's study that for just a moment. Notice what he says three times, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. What he's implying here is, is about how that religion is going to invade your worship life. And how that it is going... Listen, if Satan cannot be worshipped by you, then he does not want you worshipping the true God in the right way. And his goal is to divert your mind and your thoughts and your religious activities in a way that it would be dishonoring and unacceptable to God. And in doing so, he will use religion to do that. And so when we talk about this, I need you to be aware of something very important about this. Because he's referring to, the Bible refers to worship sometimes being vain, empty, useless. He refers to idolatry or idolatrous worship, trying to, you know, worship the true God in the wrong way with your images and your imaginations. And ignorant worship. Ignorant worship is not innocent worship. You're responsible to pursue the knowledge of God. Your worship level will never go beyond your level of knowledge of God. And you must pursue this. And it's about will worship. That word is, a, is used in the book of Colossians chapter 2. Will worship. What does that mean? Well, we'll take a glance at that. But before we do, I need you to turn your Bibles for a few moments this morning. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 16. Did Jesus tell us, and this is a rhetorical question. You know the answer to this. Did He not tell us? Deuteronomy 16. Broad is the way that leads to what? Destruction. And many, many there be that find it and go therein. And he says, narrow is the way. Straight is the gate. That word straight means very, very narrow. And he said, very few will find that gate. So we already know that if we're going to follow God, we're probably going to be in the minority. Agreed? Now I need you to understand God's mindset, and especially when it comes to what I want you to try to perceive and understand, and as you judge, you could have went anywhere this morning, you could have gone to any place as far as attempting to worship God today, with any name on the building. And I don't want you, and what I want you to do is to judge this sermon righteously and in a godly manner in that are we at East River a place where that New Testament worship can and does occur? And you need to come to that conclusion on your own. 
through the Word of God and by your inner man and the conscience that God has given to you. Look at Deuteronomy 16. But I need you to know something about the nature of God. God is very, very, very patient, kind, long-suffering in dealing with His children. He is very intolerant. And very severe when it comes to him being misrepresented and when there is false religion and when there is idolatry. He gets very angry. He is a jealous God. His name is jealous. So just an example of this. Look in Deuteronomy 16 verse 21. Some of you are going to think that I am critical of all other religions. I promise you I am not. But the truth itself exposes false religion. All right, look in Deuteronomy 16, verse 21. Here's what the Lord said to Israel. They were to worship the true God and, and, and make sure that the whole, all the other nations knew that He was different than any other God that they had ever heard of. Chapter 16, verse 21. He said, Thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any trees near unto the altar of the Lord thy God, which thou shalt make thee, neither shalt thou set thee up any image which the Lord thy God hateth. Now go into chapter 17. Here's what I want to show you. Then we're going to look at a New Testament parallel to this. He said, Thou shalt not sacrifice unto the Lord thy God any bullock or sheep wherein is blemish. wonder why he's like that. Because he demands your best. He doesn't want your half-hearted worship. He doesn't want your half-hearted effort this morning. You say, oh, I had a rough week and I've got problems, I've got troubles. So? That's every week. At some point, you've got to look beyond that and understand that God is worthy of your time and your effort and your worship. He says here, he said, don't bring me your junk. I, I call that, when Baptists bring me stuff sometimes, they bring me junk for Jesus. That's what I call it. I remember a man in Franklin, Louisiana, where I pastored there, when his lawnmower was war slapped to a frazzle. He said, I'd like to give this to the church. So I'd spend two hours working on it and an hour cutting grass. That's kind of the way it was. And it was a good test of my religion. Of having to work on it to get it going. And the Bible says here, and so I'm just saying, if you're going to give the Lord something, man, quit giving your leftovers. Give Him your best. And he says, or any ill-favoredness, for that is an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Sounds to me like the Lord's pretty picky, pretty choosy. I don't want your junk. I don't want that sick lamb because you can't use it. You can't eat it, so you brought it to me. Said, uh-uh, that's not going to work. Look in verse 2. If there be found among you within any of thy gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God in transgressing his covenant... Now, you're thinking morality right here, aren't you? You're thinking about a fornicator. You're thinking about an adulterer. You're thinking about a liar. But look what he says. And hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them. Either the sun or moon or any of the host of heaven which I have not commanded, and it be told thee, thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, if it be true, the thing that, and the, and the thing certain, Not just accusations, not just insinuations, but proof that you have been engaged in this. He said, this is an abomination. And he says, it is a federal offense. It is a capital offense. And you will be put to death for this. When people sing about the goodness of God, they totally are blind to the severity of God. The Lord is not accepting any kind of Of worship. Not then and not now. Go to the New Testament with me please. Look in in, in the book of Colossians please. Look with me in chapter number 2. If you ever want to again see the foundation of every false religion and cult. You'll find it in Colossians chapter 2. The the basic foundation of it. We're talking about again where Paul said beware of dogs. He's not referring to animals. Most of the time, in the Bible, dogs refer to one of two things. A homosexual, or 
a Gentile. But when Paul wrote that in the book of Philippians, he was being very severe on the Judaizers of religious people that were coming in and uh, you might say they were undermining what Jesus Christ had done. As a matter of fact, at the end of the book of Philippians chapter 2, that chapter, he says they actually are enemies of the cross. Enemies of the cross. So when you look in Colossians 2, you'll see here, he says you have to be aware of some things. Okay? And what he wants you to be aware of and understand is that God has removed this thing about a particular place, a particular procedure, rituals and symbols and ceremonies and beautiful buildings and dressed up clergy do not impress the Lord. By the way, if you look at some of the clergy today, man, they've got on some sharp garments. They're laced with gold and they've got beautiful colors and contrast. And the places behind them, they've got, I mean, stuff that is just absolutely beautiful to the eye. But in their ceremonies, in their rituals, they are, they are an abomination unto the Lord. You say, you're being pretty self-righteous. I am not, I promise you. I believe that I am saved by the grace of God. And I did not know any of these things. And I learned this from the Bible. And through the leadership of the Holy Ghost. I'm not trying to attack anybody's religion. But I will expose false religion. It's my responsibility to do so. So let's look in Colossians chapter 2 for just a moment. Here again he warns this. Chapter 2 verse number 8. He says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are, what's that next word? Complete. You are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, I need you to remember that phrase. Because in Philippians chapter number uh, two, 3 there and verse number 3, he says, we are the circumcision. And he's not referring to Abraham's covenant. He's not referring to physical circumcised, being circumcised physically. He's saying that we are a brand new entity in the sight of God, and we are the circumcision. We are God's chosen people, and our circumcision has been of the heart, not made with hands. Now, you've got to get a hold of that. You've got to understand that. You have to understand that to be able to recognize true worshipers today in the sight of the Lord. But he says, beware of this. And he says, of men who will spoil you, he said, and he begins to mention here the kind of religions, and we won't take time to read it all. Go back with me to a few pages to your left of the book of Philippians in chapter number 3 with me again. But he says, I want you to beware. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. Philippians chapter number 3. He says in verse 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. I'm about Judaizers, religious people who add things that take away from the preeminence of Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. This is, must be understood. So if today we got the van and we invited some of you to take a trip with us and we went and found a Jewish synagogue and we went into that synagogue, would there be true worship taking place in that synagogue? Unfortunately, no. If we went to a Muslim mosque, would there be true worship taking place in that building? Unfortunately, no. Would they be sincere? Would they be prostrating themselves before their God? Yes, they would. If we went to a Buddhist temple, would we be worshiping the true God? If we went to a J.W. Kingdom Hall, well, the reason why that that would not be so, and I'll, and I'll mention that later, there is a reason for that. 
concerning truth. A Mormon temple. A Catholic church. He says, beware. And there's a reason why that you have to understand this. And listen, God's not going to accept our worship because there's a word Baptist out there on that sign. There's a lot of Baptist churches of where the worship does not take place. We're not talking about a denomination. We're talking about your heart, your relationship, your belief, your effort to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, be aware. I'm going to try to give you some information that I don't want to turn this service into a classroom. But you can't come to church and be helped if you do not grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and biblically understand why we do what we do. Your children will not comprehend some of this message today. But it will be upon you as fathers and mothers to help them to understand it as they grow older. Philippians 3 verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision. And when he makes that comment, when he makes that statement, he is saying that God has called out another group of people. Up to this point... Up up to this point, there were only two entities on the face of the earth that God identified. One would be the Jew, and the other one would be the Gentile. And God was working through both of those entities, either through the Jew, the nation of Israel, or the Gentile nations as He was accomplishing His prophetic promises and His will being done. And so, a time came of where the Lord had a plan... This, this, this was not plan B because he knew what would happen when he sent Jesus to the earth. He knew this. It was foreordained that this would happen. The foreknowledge of God understood this. You say, well, how can men be responsible? Well, I promise you, listen, I've got enough foreknowledge and understanding to know some things today. If I were to send Brother Lewis or Brother John If I were to send them to Iran or Iraq and to stand on the street corner and proclaim the gospel, I already know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. And when Jesus came into the world, His own received Him not. And so God called out another group of people that He was going to set those aside, the Jewish religion, you might say, set aside for a season and for a while. According to Romans 9, 10, and 11, He has not forsaken nor forgot them, but He has set them aside. And God now has moved out of the temple and out of the tabernacle. As a matter of fact, He's had it raised. He's had it demolished. And now God does not meet in a particular building or a particular place and time. Now He meets with a group of people. Called the church of God. Now there are three entities. There is the Jew. There is the Gentile. But now there's something called the church of God. Sometimes called the church of Christ. I know there's denominations called that. But we're talking about a group of people. And here's what God decided to do. He says, I'm going to take anybody who will repent toward me. And put their faith in Jesus Christ. I will save them. And I will baptize them by the Spirit into the body of Christ, and I will make them a new creature. Of whether there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor male nor female. And he says, you are going to be a new creature in my sight. You're going to be what is called the church of God. You're going to be called what is called the bride of Christ. I'm going to liken you unto a temple. I'm going to liken you unto a body. And he says, and when you meet in my name, my son's name, when you meet in my son's name, where two or three are gathered together, I will meet with you. And so worship now has shifted. And so what he says here in chapter 3, he says this. He says, we are the circumcision. You have to understand that we are the people of God. I don't, doesn't matter that I was born a Gentile. I, in God's sight, I am a child of God. I am a part of the church of God. And it has its own plans. He has its own future. 
we one day as a body will be taken away. And God will then once again deal with the Jew and the Gentile on this planet. But until then, God is working through the church. Do you understand that? I hope you do. You're part of that if you've been saved. Circumcised without hands. The heart has been surgery done upon it. Has God ever done surgery on your heart? Hmm? Has God ever circumcised your heart? Has He ever changed your heart? Toward Him? It is the gospel that has brought us together. It is the gospel that holds us together. And the gospel must not ever be changed or messed with unless it is no longer the gospel. According to Galatians chapter number 1, there is not another gospel. Paul warned in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, listen, I'm worried about you. He said, lest you receive another Jesus. And so when we talk about Jesus, that name is thrown around a lot in our society and loosely and by many religions. But I ask you, is it the Jesus of the Bible? Is it Jesus of Nazareth? Is it this Jesus that's mentioned in the book of Acts? So the gospel has brought us together. Look over in chapter number two with me, if you would again, and look in verse number five. So are we a New Testament place? Are we a place where worship can take place? I hope so. I believe so. According to the Word of God, look in chapter number 2. The gospel is the foundation of our ability to worship God in spirit and in truth. The good news of the gospel. We sang that in one of our songs. Announcing good news. Chapter 2, verse 5. He says this. Look at this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's a powerful statement. Very powerful statement. That separates us from all other religions. Major religions on this planet. That separates us. You say, well, the JWs believe that Jesus... No, 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 hold on a minute. They believe that Jesus was a God. They do not believe He is God. And here the Bible says that, and listen, the Mormons, they believe that He is the brother of Lucifer or Satan. He said, It thought not Robert to be equal with God. That is why we sometimes we worship the Father and the Son through the Spirit of God. The Bible says that Jesus said that he that honoreth me honoreth the Father. We need to read these verses. I'm being patient on purpose. I need you to engage your mind with me. Keep your hand right where you are. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. I need to show you a very important verse of Scripture concerning this. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 8, back to your left, and look in verse number 6. Do you agree with me according to what Paul wrote to Timothy? He said, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh. According to 2 Corinthians 5, Brother John, the Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Look in 1 Corinthians 8, please. Look in verse 6. The Bible says, he's talking about idolatry here in the previous verses. He says, but, uh, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Amen. Go back to Philippians 2 for just a moment. Let's read this carefully. You say... Our, our, we, God has done a mighty work that He would send the invitation around the world that whosoever will would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. That, those early guys in the book of Acts, those early apostles, they were not interested in evangelizing Gentiles. God had to twist their arm and adjust their attitude just to give the gospel to a Gentile. God began to open that door 
And the Bible says here in Philippians chapter number 2, look in verse number 7, talking about the Lord Jesus. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Okay, we're talking about worship now. Okay, we believe in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ was the manifestation of God the Father. That He was the express image of God. And the Bible says here in verse number 9, now notice this. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name. And this is where this is important concerning New Testament worship. And given Him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, in our studies of worship, bowing of the knee, the confession of the mouth, the prostration of the body, all of these were elements or manifestations of someone who is being worshipped. Revelation 4 and 5, they're falling down before Him and they are saying, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy. Okay, so right here, verse 10 says that God the Father is raising up God the Son and giving Him a name that every, every knee should bow. Referring to the fact that every knee, every person should worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Of things in heaven, Hebrews chapter 1 says, God the Father told the angels to worship His Son. And he says, and things in the earth and things under the earth. That phrase, under the earth, always interests me. And he says in verse 11 that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So be aware here now. Let's let's look at some more verses back over here. And I want you to think about some things that God has chosen. Go back with me to to Philippians chapter 3 again with me. Are you still with me for a few more minutes? I want to be part of a New Testament church that worships the Lord. Whether I'm the pastor of that church, a member of that church, visit that church. I want to be a, I want to, if I visit a location, if I go to another city and I'm just there on business, I would seek out a place of where I could go. Of where that I would be able to recognize a few things and know that they are worshiping New Testament way. And God has a chosen method. And the Bible says in Philippians 3, verse number 3, it says, Be aware, be aware, verse 3, that we are the circumcision. We are God's chosen, called out, sanctified people. 1 Corinthians says that we are the temple of God. Paul said that, told Timothy, I'm going to teach you how to behave yourself at the house of God. He wasn't referring to a building, but how he behaved himself around the people of God, in the church of God, when they gathered together. See, some of you, some folks out there watching now and other places, they think, hey man, I ain't got to go to some place to worship God. Can I tell you? That is true. But if you worship God at home, and you're able, you have the opportunity you have a desire to corporately worship. David believed in personal worship. He was good at it. He wrote many psalms in his response to worshiping the Lord. But man, he loved the house of God. He said, mercy and truth shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He said, I'd rather be a a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Asaph in Psalm 73 wrote and said, Man, until I went to the sanctuary of the Lord, then I understood that therein. There's something about gathering together. And Paul wrote and said, um, excuse me, David wrote and said that, that, that the elders in the assembly should praise the Lord. The men should lead in leadership of praising and worshiping the Lord. Now, every worship today in this city and around other places, you usually got... A woman in tight blue jeans 
dancing and prancing around upon a stage in front of men who have problems with the lust of their eyes singing about Jesus. But I am telling you that God would that the men would lead. He would. I'm not eliminating women in worship. I would not ever do that. Thank God for that. I thank God for you. But I am saying there is a way that's acceptable to God. You say, well, you're just too narrow-minded. I think you're too broad-minded. And if we lived in the Old Testament days that I read Deuteronomy 16, I'd turn you in. <laughs> if you didn't get right. Philippians 3. He says, for we are the circumcision which worship God. I came here this morning to worship God. Now, it's good to see you. I love you. You help me in my worship of God. When I hear your voices lifting up toward heaven, it helps me to engage in my worship of the Lord. He said, worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And that no confidence in the flesh is referring to the fact that when we come to the Lord today, we are not approaching Him in our own self-righteousness, but rather in the righteousness that has been imputed to our account by the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Our approach to Him must be through the righteousness of Christ. That is why when we sing these songs, it is about the cross. It is about the resurrection. It is about His ascension. It is about His imputed righteousness to my account. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust any other frame or name. And so that's why if you'll, to verify this, you'll notice he says in verse number 9, he says, and be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, there's a lot of religions out there that are that are seeking to establish their own righteousness because they will not submit themselves to the righteousness God has provided through Jesus Christ. Man, they're excited about all the stuff that they do religiously. They feel better about themselves. There's always a group of men that enjoy being what they call the clergy who feel like that they're on a level above everybody else. And they got all their little fancy clothes and rules and rituals and symbolism. And everybody comes in and plays church and, then, and they like being subjected to that. And they feel better because somebody has, quote, blessed them. And now they're going about their merry way. That is unacceptable to God. Quickly, let me tell this to you now. I want you to think about now that God's chosen method is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. So what do you mean by that? It means our complete dependence upon His righteousness and upon His name. We're gathered together this morning in His name. I don't want to go to a place where I never hear the name of Jesus. I want you to consider the the serious contrast and conflict that we're talking about here. If you went to a Jewish synagogue, the name of Jesus would not be mentioned. If you went to a Muslim mosque, you would not hear the name of Jesus mentioned in a positive manner. If you went to a Buddhist temple, you would not hear the name of Jesus. If you went to a JW Kingdom Hall, you would hear about another Jesus who is called a God. If you went to a Mormon temple, you would hear about another Jesus who is a brother to Satan. If you went to the Catholic Church, you would hear of another Jesus. The Catholic Church is mixed a mixture of paganism... Judaism, mysticism, ritualism, ceremonialism, and legalism. They have a group called, I call them the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's what they do. They've got Mary at the top. And they've got all the saints that have died that, they have, uh, that have ascended. And now you, you can buy trinkets of them that will give you good luck to protect you. Like a police officer will, will, will purchase something from the Catholic Church to wear around his neck to protect him because he's a police officer. 
They've got two or three hundred different saints that you can purchase their images and their relics so that it will bring good luck and prosper you. I call them the guardians of the galaxy, which is absolute insult to the Lord Jesus Christ. And for you to tell me that Jesus is not enough and you've got to have Mary talk Jesus into being kind to you, that is an absolute insult. It's an abomination. It is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. You say, well, you're just being too... No, don't say that. Quit saying that. If anything, I'm being too soft. And the Bible says and teaches us very clearly that, that it has to be a gospel-based group of people. If, we get, if, if, if this economy collapses and we are persecuted here and we're scattered about, would it be possible for you to find a collective group of people and be able to worship the Lord? I believe that I can worship God in a hospital bed, a prison cell, on a ship like the Apostle Paul, or in a prison cell like the Apostle Paul and Silas when him and they were singing and they were worshiping up a storm. And I'm saying that yes, I could, but I would try to find me a group of people that I could meet with. You might not be able to meet every Sunday. You might have to meet when you can. It's not about a particular day either. Now, I believe the New Testament teaches that we ought to meet on the first day of the week. I believe that. But if it got to where we could, and if we, if we just had got, whenever we got to meet, It'd be wonderful to meet with God's people. It'd probably be good for us for a little while. But I am saying to you, here's what you need to look for. In a New Testament, worship, atmosphere, and service. There should be prayers that are offered up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You should pray for the services here that people would be faithful and focused. And that the praise would be sincere and that the preaching would be effective. When you, before you left the house this morning, you should have prepared yourself for worship by prayer. And you should have asked God to bless this service and you should have asked Him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am fully aware that I am an unholy creature apart from the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. But I know that I can say to myself also, arise my soul, arise. Because I know that I have a high priest. I don't need a priest. I have a high priest. And he, I'm telling you what, and he loves me and he cares about me. And he is touched by the feelings of my infirmities. So yes, there should be prayers in the name of Jesus and there should be praise. In the name of Jesus and about the name of Jesus. The Psalms and the hymns and the spiritual songs, as the the Hebrew writer said, in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. There should be prayers in the name of Jesus. There should be praise in the name of Jesus. And then it should impact my possessions. According to Psalm 95, when I come to worship the Lord, I should bring an offering. Not that God needs it, but that I need to acknowledge that He has provided for me once again. I wish to honor the Lord with the first fruits of my increase. For as David said, for all things come of thee, and of thine own hand have we given thee. Brother Travis, what what Cindy and I put in the plate this morning, God gave us first, and we just gave it back. And He let me keep most of it. But I want to honor Him with my possessions. Because you see, one of the things that's connected to idolatry is covetousness. And then there should be, in that assembly, at some point, somebody opened up a Bible and preached the Word of God accurately, authoritatively, whether it can be applied and Christ-honoring. I am to hear it, I am to receive it, and I am to be a doer of it. This is part of worship. Last week I taught you from the Psalm 95 that there's two main goals of worship. is to honor the Lord and then to hear the voice of the Lord. Some folks like the 
the praise part, but they don't like the preaching part. That's why you can get a group of singers together and then it'll fill up the place. And when the preacher gets up and opens up the Bible, well, there are several pews that are empty. Because they are more interested, and I love good singing. I mean, I, I appreciate what Brother Brent did of putting a, our songs together that we can listen to it. I listened to it on the way to church this morning, listen to you sing about the Lord. It helps me. But I need preaching. Preaching, I need somebody to rebuke me. I need somebody to reprove me. I need somebody to exhort me and to help me in my walk with the Lord. And it's my part of worship. I am receiving. Now I've given to God my voice and now I'm listening to His voice. And I wanted Him to receive my words and now He wants me to receive His words. That's the way this works. And I want you to look in verse 20 and 21 and I am done. We're talking about the preeminence of Christ. When we leave here, we should not live in this life as others who have no hope. We should walk about as lights in a dark place with hope in our hearts. Even when we have great sorrow, we should not sorrow as others who have no hope. Look in Philippians chapter 3. Look down here in verse number 20. He said, For our conversation is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He is able even to subdue all things unto Himself. So as we leave here, there also should be what I would call a proclamation that we are telling people and using His name only when it comes to salvation, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We are to proclaim that news. It is a narrow statement. It is a narrow message. Whether it be some of the news media that may or talk shows that might interview some a preacher or a pastor and they say, hey, are you telling me that I as a Jew, that I cannot go to heaven unless I am born again? Thank God there have been a few men who were willing to step up and say, the Bible says that all men must be born again. Thank God for that. God hates the sissies that step back and say, well, you know, I'm just don't know every man's heart, and I'm not sure what God will do about this. There is only one name. And if you go anywhere and you get all excited about what's going on as far as the action and the activity and the light and the smoke screen and all the other stuff, and you say, boy, we really felt good when we left there. If they did not proclaim that salvation is in no other than Jesus Christ, you did not worship the true God. The man, because you and I have only one name that a sinner can call upon, we're to proclaim that, and we are to let them know that when death occurs, that there is hope for the believer in the name of Jesus Christ, that He is the conqueror of death. And the Bible tells us that you and I now will leave also, and we'll participate now as a body. I can worship the Lord through the week by serving God, by being a blessing to you. Can I worship without being with you? Yes. Can I serve the Lord? Worship is always connected to service. See, Martha just got it backwards. She was serving before she worshiped. That makes you usually get you to griping about something. And looking at other people and being critical. But if you worship first, it makes work a whole lot easier. Amen? Let me show you one more verse, then we're going to pray and go to the house. All right, turn with me to Hebrews quickly. I pray that the Holy Ghost will help you as you observe religion over your days and you meet with your family and you talk about church and they say, well, how come you think you're the only one that's got the truth? We don't think we're the only ones that have the truth. We just know we have the truth. Why should I apologize that I have it? Look in Hebrews, please, in chapter 13. I I can do things during the week 
as a church and as a body that are acceptable sacrifices to God and as far as he is concerned is an act of worship to him. Look at Hebrews 13 real quick. The Bible says here in verse 14, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By Him therefore, talking about Jesus, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, that means recognizing the need of someone and meeting that need. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. I can serve Him between now and next Sunday. Never see you, except maybe minister to you. And God is pleased with that. I can leave here as a part of the body and be a blessing. Do you understand? God has, here we are, we're meeting here in this building. This is not where we have to meet to worship. If it burns down this afternoon, we still have a church. You're the church. We may meet in a different location, but we're the church. And it is through you that God is looking down from heaven, not at the Jewish temple this morning, not at the Muslim mosque this morning, not at the J.W. Hall yesterday, not at the Mormon temple, but at little groups of people like us who have been saved by the grace of God and our confidence is in the gospel and in Christ Jesus being our Savior and His imputed righteousness to our account. We're aware of our inability and unapproachability to God apart from Jesus Christ. So we love Him and we praise Him and we pray through Him. And we'll meet together again tonight in His name. Our heart's desire is that we'd worship Him in spirit and truth. That our hearts would be tender and clean. When I get up on Sunday morning, you know what I want? I want my heart to be clean. I want my hands to be holy. I want to be able to lift up holy hands without wrath. Having been provoked through the week, yes. But without wrath and without doubting. Knowing that what I'm doing right now is acceptable to God. If I worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so yes, I believe we have an element here, a place here where we can come together. This is not an all-inclusive club. You see sometimes those stickers on the back of a car. It's got all kinds of religious symbols on it. You've got a symbol on your vehicle. It'll have to be in honor of Jesus. Otherwise, how can two walk together? Except they be in agreement. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed. Would you please come for just a moment, dear? With our heads bowed, maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart this morning about something that you need to do and take care of with the Lord. I pray that you would bow your knee in His name and worship Him in your heart. Father, we love You, and without You we can do nothing. We ask God that You would have mercy upon East River Baptist Church that our hearts would be tender to the Spirit of God and that our focus would be upon You. Lord, we love You and we need You now. In Jesus' name, Amen.